Welcome to Taiwan War 24 on Mossman and Super Riders Against the Devils. And as the intro goes, as Todd has provided for us, if I'm being honest, the Asian film industry of the mid 70s was infused with the spirit of sharing, or at least borrowing, and often without permission. One of the results of this was a series of incredibly strange hybrid superhero films that were just as likely to include figures from Thai folklore as they were mad scientists and damsels in distress. So today we'll be discussing two of these pan-Asian Franken-films, Mossman and Super Riders Against the Devils, and we will also be providing a lot of information about the films from which these movies borrowed, stole or plagiarized. Sometimes legally, sometimes not. And my name is Kenny B, and with me is Multimedia Man Rider 1. Todd Statman, you get that reference? You're like you're the writer one in this uh, in, in this equation. I like it. Let's go with it. I might just change my you know my uh, internet moniker to that man writer. You should have a little spinning thing, uh, like a colorful uh, trippy spinning thing somewhere <laughs> on your body. <laughs> All right, buddy. How are you doing? You're, you're, we're in territory that uh, is uh, familiar to you in terms of the genres we're discussing here, and territory that you like. I have, well, I've been very much looking forward to this episode. I will say because I do have a lot of hard-won knowledge of the subject matter, thanks to my own obsessive tendencies, and so I'm looking forward to kind of getting it all out in podcast form. It might be, you know, you could say I have a score to settle. I don't know. That might be a little strong. But anyway, I've been very much looking forward to this episode. And I'm doing great. Good, good, good. Well, we'll do some quick contact information and then get things going. And this is Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire Network. Yeah, make your choice over there. We have plenty of cho- choices on uh, both the Taiwanese cinema, the show about Taiwanese cinema that this is, where we do Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, and so forth. So make your choice over there at the right-hand panel. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again, exclusively for the website. If you have any questions or feedback, and if uh, this is uh, the genre that we're going to discuss, is something that you uh, like and... Uh, uh, you are welcome to share your thoughts on the show or the genre in general. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Follow the handy buttons at the top of our website to our social media presence, uh, starting with Facebook. The button will lead to our page. And if you search Podcast on Fire Network on Facebook, you'll find our discussion group as well, where, where we post uh, updates and there's discussion galore going on over there. You can also click the Twitter button, which will lead you to our Twitter account. The iTunes button uh, goes to our feed and uh, you can subscribe to it. You can leave a star rating and even a comment if you feel like you have something to say about the show. Uh, constructive, good, bad. We're happy to happy to hear you out. So uh, there you go. And finally, Stitcher Radio, uh, the final button there leads you to their website where you can stream the entire network on their site, but you can also do that on by downloading applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play, so you can listen to us on the go. And I write about a variety of Taiwanese movies, a variety of Hong Kong movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I post small uh, spoken audio video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter uh, tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. And my friend, 4DK plus plugs, it says here, but uh, you can uh, plug, <laughs> plug all you want, plug selectively, the floor is yours. Um, <laughs> well, I write about all kinds of crazy world genre cinema on my blog, Die Danger, Die Die Kill, which is die danger, die die kill dot blogspot dot com. If you go to the blog, 
go over to the right uh, sidebar and you'll find links to, first of all, to buy my book, Funky Bollywood, which was published by Fab Press last year. Also to uh, my Facebook page, my radio show, Pop Offensive, uh, my other erstwhile blog, uh, The Infernal Brains, which I do with the magnificent Tars Tarkas. And I also write for Teleport City, and I've been writing uh, for them a lot lately, including a rather lengthy review of the film we're discussing today, Mars Men, which, I, which came out like a couple weeks ago, I believe. Well, let's, uh, all the links will be available in the show post. And uh, for, before we get things going, uh, let's uh, provide a rundown of uh, things to come, because we have a few sections. So, uh, and I thought I'd give you a heads up of, uh, of what's to come. Uh, and running times are available on the site, podcastnofire.com, in the show post. So if you want to jump ahead to any section, that's uh, the place to go to find your references. So we start off with the Mossman section, and uh, we will provide some background on that production, but mainly in that section, Todd is here to tell you of its uh, Thai connection and how one producer became infamous for being a naughty boy in the eyes of the uh, <laughs> copyright law in, yes. uh, in, uh, in Thailand. So uh, that's a little tease for you. Uh, we conclude that section then with our review of Marsman. Uh, we'll take a break and after that we'll chat a little bit about uh, the background of Super Riders Against the Devils, the background of uh, Common Rider uh, as created in Japan. And uh, we'll uh, conclude uh, the, the entire episode with our review of uh, Super Riders Against the Devils. So uh, let's uh, let's get this thing uh, going. Marsman from 1976, and the plot provided by Todd goes as follows in his own uh, words and his own uh, oral delivery. So uh, cue Todd and... Uh... A miniature version of the Guardian statue, Yuckwood Jang, is discovered in a hidden cave. It is highly irradiated, and so, naturally, it comes to life and grows to enormous size. This is oddly fortuitous, as a pair of malevolent aliens, King and Queen Martian, has just touched down in Taiwan. They are seeking a powerful gem from which they plan to build an earth-shattering superweapon, and have in their employ an army of, quote, undead demons of ancient Martian dinosaurs, unquote, to keep the populace occupied while they go about their business. Aided by the super science paramilitary group known as the Protection Association Troop, or PAT, for sure, it's PAT! Um, Yukwa Jang takes the fight to the Martians and is later joined in battle by Jumborg Ace, a giant cyborg on loan from Japan. So the background, we got a little bit of a heftier uh, background section here. And Todd is here to um, lay down a story that connects to the original movie Marsman is basing itself on. But let me just throw some basic facts at you first. And we'll obviously t- touch more on that during the review or maybe the Todd's discussion. So what Marsman consists of is footage from the 1974 Japanese Thai co-production Jumbo Gaze and Giant. And some sections were reportedly also out of the Jumbo Gaze TV series. You can kind of see the framing is a little bit off in this widescreen uh, presentation. <laughs> yes. It looks like they matted the square uh, TV frame. Uh, the Japan side was represented by Tsuburaya Productions, the special effects studio founded by effects legend Eiji Tsuburaya of uh, Godzilla fame, and the Thai side by Chayo Productions, and uh, more on those and one particular man called Sampot Sangdun Chai in a bit. Uh, that's Todd's story. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a doozy. 
as they say. Uh, Smash cut anyway to 1976 in Taiwan, and perhaps it was in the air that producers at that time uh, sh- should look at uh, making these kind of movies, you know, to acquire sets and costumes and footage from Japan to craft Taiwanese giant monster entertainment, akin to the tradition in Japan, because it happened a lot during this time. The same year as uh, Mossman, we got Super Riders Against the Devil, we got the Super Riders V3, and... Uh, so it, it's sort of this cut and paste formula here old footage some new footage with local actors and uh, that that's the same deal for Marsman as well and uh, it adds another special effects tinted entry uh, Marsman that is on editor turned director Chen Hung Min's filmography and Chen Hung Min you might remember as the director of the big calamity aka war god and we've certainly praised him before he was a dependable eye for both you know, narrative and special effects uh, footage. But this time, as you well know, Todd, and you listeners now, Chen Hung Ming's work is not uh, all over Mossman. It's just uh, makes up part of it because he just shot some footage. It's part of the stew. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so check out our old episode on War God if you uh, if you want to look at that uh, that um, hear that discussion and certainly look at the movie if you can. That's Marsman in a nutshell. I'll throw over to Todd because uh, Marsman connects to an older Japanese Taiko production, as I said, and the history is quite, um, you know, I don't know how to describe it really. It's infected, shameless. Would that be a nice summary of this uh, decade long, uh, decade long history of uh, being naughty, a naughty copyright law boy? <laughs> to the extent that there is copyright law in, in these countries. Um, well, it's impossible to talk about Marsman without discussing a Thai filmmaker known as Sampot Sang Duen Shai. And believe me, if it was possible, we would do it. But um, uh, Sampot also occasionally used the pseudonym Sampot Sands, which is what most Westerners refer to him as uh, because Thai names are hard. I have a complicated history with Sampot Sands. He's mostly he's it's it's gotten personal, Ken. I'll, he's mostly known among Western psychotronic film fans for the movie Hanuman, Hanuman and the Seven Ultraman, and all of the uh, complications that followed from that. And there's been plenty written about that, but I think that at the time I was. Uh, one of the first writers to uh, write about his other films in English. And I wrote a long series of reviews of his various films on my blog. This ended up being the first thing I did on the blog that got some internet traction. It was reblogged a few times. And then, of course, other people started writing about his films not necessarily because I had, but I think I brought them to the light. And, of course, a lot of people were like, I, I guess what I need to say here is I do not think Ty- that Sampot Sands is a good filmmaker. In fact, I think a couple of his films are among the worst films ever made. So I just want to be clear about that because since I wrote about him, other people have written about him and be like, oh, it's great. What the fuck? It's crazy. And... uh I don't know. There's crazier things. And also, you know, I get the impression from this history that he's kind of a dick. So (laughs) there it is. is. I'm just going to put it out there. But other people, you know, taking a shine to him. I know Ninja Dixon actually went 
over to Thailand and interviewed him, which was really interesting, actually. I'm glad that he did that. You know, I'm not saying that because Ninja Dixon is a fan. I'm in opposition to him. He's a great guy. Uh, and also, I should mention, I'm going to be relying a lot on my review of Hanuman and the Seven Ultraman that I wrote for Teleport City back in May of 2008. Mm-hmm. So I have been doing this shit for a long time. <laughs> All right, so... Sampo Sang Duanchai's or Sampo Sang's story starts in 1962 when, as a young man, he left his native Thailand for Japan as he had been granted a Thai government scholarship to study cinematography there. His studies would include an apprenticeship in Japan's at Japan's legendary Toho Studios, during which Sands would come into contact with E.G. Subaraya the master of Japanese special effects. Uh, Sabraya was in the middle of his career peak at the time. I mean, he was, you know, he's created such classic monsters as Godzilla, Rodan, and Mothra. And he was on the verge of starting his own company, Subaraya Productions, which would go on to, you know, create probably his most successful uh, production of all, which was the TV series Ultraman. This is all in dispute, but... Sampo Sands would eventually characterize his his uh, useful encounter with Subarai as the beginning of a long and close friendship. You know, he'd talk about it almost as sort of a mentor-mentee relationship. Whatever the case, it obviously had a profound effect on him. When he came back to Thailand in the late 60s, he formed his own company, Child Productions, and he went about fashioning himself as a sort of Thai version of E.G. Subaraya. Sorry. And he began to produce and direct a string of special effects driven in giant monster movies, <clears throat> the likes of which hadn't previously been seen in Thailand, and would continue to produce those kind of films well into his career. The only of his films that ever got distribution an English language distribution was a film called Crocodile, which was basically part of the the whole Jaws ripoff cycle. In the you know, and it was about a giant crocodile, as you man might imagine. Uh, one of his first features was a film called Ta Tien, which featured a kaiju style battle between two reanimated giant guardian statues, Yukwad Jang and Yukwad Fo. It was crude, but it definitely had, you know, there were the model buildings and, you know, mostly the the giant monsters were these static. I don't think there were people in them, but they were, um, you know, pushed into plastic building and stuff. Of course, on the way to presenting this climactic battle royal, Sands also provided the audience with scenes of a giant suitmation frog smoking a giant cigarette, a discomfortingly ponderous dinosaur fight, and one of the most extensive and gratuitous skinny-dipping sequences in cinema history. Here's the thing about Sampot Sands. While he made a lot of movies that on some level appeared like they were intended for children, there was a sleaziness that tended to creep into his films that was pretty inescapable. So, which it makes watching them kind of a a, a, discomforting, a discomforting experience. I mean, his movie, is, which we'll talk about later, but um, Hanuman and the Five Riders, 
is, you know, it's a version of, of the Japanese series Common Riders, totally unauthorized, but he also has a vision of hell that's more like something out of one of those Brazilian movies that, and, uh, you know, with naked women chained up and being poked in the butt with uh, pitchforks and, you know, lots of graphic violence, lots of nudity, and then, hey, guys in superhero costumes fighting monsters. So anyway. All audiences, literally. Like, uh, made for all audiences, but... All or none. Exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The meat of our story occurs at a time when well, Ultraman, obviously, you know, everybody, I think, knows Ultraman. It was popular worldwide, and especially throughout Asia, and especially in Thailand. So, in 1973, Sampo Sands approached Subaraya, which was then headed by E.G.'s son, Nuburu, because E.G. had passed on by this time, he approached Subaraya with the idea of doing a series of co-productions that would pair Subaraya's live-action superheroes with characters from Thai mythology. And uh, Noburo signed on to this. And the first film that they made was Giant and Jumborg A, which you just mentioned. But immediately following that, they did... Hanuman and the f- and the five Ultraman, or is it seven Ultraman? I'm really this is I think I'm I'm being overcome by emotion. Is what's happening here, Ken? I think um, <laughs> <laughs> this was a film that paired Hanuman, who is the monkey god, actually of Hindu mythology, but a lot of Hindu mythology made its way into Thai religious mythology by way of the Hindi religious epic, the Ramayana, which provided the basis for the Thai religious epic, which is called the Ramakian. So he paired Hanuman with all of the Ultraman that existed up to that point. So it's like Ultraman, Ultraman Leo, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Ultra 7, and some of the lesser Ultraman that were also in that, because he had the, the... cooperation of Subaraya, he had the benefit of their special effects team. So actually, it's a pretty fun film. Lots of lots of monster fighting, lots of explosions, lots of miniature buildings being destroyed, Every all that stuff you want. And after that, he went on to make more more of these, uh, his own monster films. He went on and made the, the Common Rider film. And then, in 1995, Noburo Tsuburaya died. And very soon thereafter, Sampo Sands made a dramatic re-entrance into the lives of Ultraman and his corporate guardians. On this occasion, Sands produced a contract that he alleged had been made between Noburo and himself in 1976 granting Chayo Productions exclusive international rights to all of the Ultra series made up to the time of Hanuman and the Seven Ultramen's production, as well as to the series John Borg Ace and the two co-produced movies. And while it's true that the previous contract they'd made had been between the two companies and granted Chayo rights to the movies... This was something of an entirely different magnitude altogether. And what timing as well. Like, man, one pers- person has passed. I'm going to make a move here. A, di- a dick move, it sounds like. 
Yeah, it's and he and he also claimed that Nabucco granted him these rights in order to settle a debt, and it's a debt that arose in part as a result of Nabucco entering into a licensing agreement with Shaw Brothers for the Hanu Man and the Seven Ultra Brothers movie. It would later be shown, however, that it was in fact Sands who had entered into that contract with the Shaws. Still, Shaw, uh, his dubious assertion of Nobru's debt was only one of many compelling reasons for Subarai to consider his contract a joke. For one thing, there was the matter of the wording in the contract itself, which misspelled or misnamed not just the title of most of the subject TV series, but also that of Subarai Productions. Totes a real contract. <laughs> you can almost imagine it written in crayon. But the most damning, obviously, was the fact that Sands had stayed quiet until about the contract for 20 years and never stepped forward to assert these rights until the only person who was allegedly present who could verify them was dead. Yeah, because 1995 is not the peak of tokusatsu entertainment where we're Thai, thai or Jap- uh, Japanese. Yes, and uh, still the Thai Intellectual Property and International Trade Court affirmed the legitimacy of the contract in a 2000 decision, which was in turn upheld by the Japanese District Court in 2003. So, yeah, the Japanese court said that while Subarai retained the copyrights to all of the characters and series covered, the contract did grant Chao license to exploit those series outside of Japan, which is the whole world but for Japan. So this is like a massive entitlement that he's claiming. That victory emboldened Sands for not only did he quickly begin to robustly exercise his newly legitimized rights by licensing as much Ultraman product as he possibly could within the shortest time possible, but also to expand exponentially on the grandiosity of his claims. Soon he was saying that he had in fact contributed to the creation of Ultraman, saying that he suggested to Subarai back in 1963 that he create a character whose appearance was based on Thai statues of the Buddha. Even Ultraman's name, it turned out, had been San's idea. He would later claim that, with the idea of evincing the mane of an armored Turkish warrior, he had suggested the name Ottoman to Subaraya. And they had been the inspiration for the character's final name. When I met Moses before he wrote his uh, wrote the Ten Commandments, <laughs> I had a suggestion or two as well. Yeah, you get the sense of Sans being sort of a, a bit of a fabulist, and uh, uh, and then more damaging uh, was the fact that Sans' tendency to confabulate extended beyond just the nature of his relationship with Subaraya, Subaraya and his involvement in the origin of Ulcerman but also to the scope of the contract itself. Though subsequent court decisions would actually limit Chayo's rights, it seems that Sands continually chose to view them as expansions on them. As a result, he began talking up all kinds of grand schemes, from the creation of an Ultraman theme park in Thailand to the production of a new series featuring Thai-specific Ultraman characters that would be the exclusive property of Chayo one of whom was to be called Ultraman Millennium. It took until February of 2008 
for Subarai and the courts to deliver a final legal smackdown to Sanguichai. Though not before Chayo had invested a lot of money in a new Ultraman series starring Ikan Chang that probably no one will ever see. Because we, we talked of that once upon a time on Podcast on Fire. Like that's we you can ridicule Ikan Chang, but in his latter stages of his career, which he is in now, he, he he's a more comfortable actor, right? But when we heard that, that was just like well, go where the work is, but it's not what Ikin Chang normally like was cast in. So we were back in the day sort of intrigued at the thought of that, but it never, to, to our knowledge, like uh, manifested itself. And one of the things I think about, I mean, this whole what we're talking about, these patchwork movies, I mean, that's sort of a function of uh, exploitation films are like commercial cinema at its rawest. And one of the foundational principles of of exploitation low budget cinema is to do things expediently and quickly and what quicker way to make a movie than to just take take someone else's movie and just stick a few things of yours on either end of it godfrey ho and uh, the likes made a career out of acquiring old movies and just shooting 15 minutes of their own footage uh, so uh, totally yeah, I think the Asians are the masters of it because I get the idea that the copyright laws in those areas was quite porous during that time and may still be. I don't really know. I mean, Thailand certainly were were a go-to place for the likes of Godfrey Ho and Joseph Lai when it came to acquiring stuff. I pretty much know why they did it. But I, I think it was quite cheap to acquire these uh, sort of low-budget modern gunplay action movies that they often did. And I suspect that often, I mean, I think most of the time it was done without authorization, but I think that sometimes, I mean, especially in the case of Sands, I think that one of the things, I imagine that one of the things he would do to maximize his profits would be to sell the rights to his films, as he was doing with Shaw, and as he, I think he must have done with with Giant and Jumbo A, which became Marsman. This, I'm finally, see, I'm wrapping it up. I'm bringing it back around. It's pay, it pays off. Can I just ask you something? Um, did this, to the best of your knowledge, ever affect, in terms of uh, if a Western company would want to buy the rights to release a, a series of uh, or a season of uh, Ultraman or, or or any movie what, what was it ever uh, because of Sans position in this uh, irrational mostly did that uh, it, did that provide like trouble uh, legal trouble for western companies to acquire these things it limited their access um that first uh, I can't remember who put out the first box set of all the Ultraman episodes here. You know, while they would have liked to have gotten the Masters from Subaraya, which would have been cleaner, you know, better looking, they had to go to Chayo. So, the, I mean, I think those discs look great. I mean, I was just so happy to have, you know, Ultraman on discs. But they don't look as good as, like, later ones that have come out since the settlement that are from the from the Subarai Masters and look extra clean. So yes, the answer to your question is absolutely yes. And there were a lot of, that was one of the reasons why a lot of Western Ultraman fans were screaming about Chayo and Sans because he was preventing the release outside of Japan of the original episodes in their best form. And it seems like he is very much at the forefront of it. It's not like 
he did something once and now he's and now it's the company doing it for him it seems like he's at the forefront of all of this and uh, and and personally making it sort of difficult yeah it sounds like it i mean i don't obviously i don't know the man but um he doesn't come off look he doesn't come off smelling like roses in this situation and he does seem to have a weird sort of identification with eg subaraya Who's, who's not here to speak for himself, which is very, very convenient to yes, uh, to be speaking for much. him. So, yes, yeah, so I believe that he probably sold, you know, he put the rights to uh, Hanuman, Jumborg Ace, and Giant uh, on the market. And that's probably how that came about. But it's very, this is a fascinating thing. I mean, that's kind of why... It's, it's, you know, being fans of like sort of junk trash cult cinema is, is definitely an alternative kind of film fandom. But at the same time, these films are like the most aggressively commercial films there could be because they're just like, these are made to make money. And in a lot of cases, that drive led to some very strange choices combinations that result in these very weird hybrid movies which i think are fascinating but i mean i mean it's a shame when someone creates this uh legal trouble and these legal ripples but at the same time i very much agree that this is fascinating movie history despite it containing sh- shameless exploitation within all of this because i agree like the the you sometimes listen to someone and you know which one comes from the rational perspective and who does not come from the rational perspective. You can sort of, you know, if someone spins like he does, you can, yeah, well, okay, you say so if you tell yourself that. People like that eventually just take a little too far. Yeah. To people exactly. where everybody goes, come on. So so it's finally solved now. Like, Subaraya has it all. Uh, uh, Subaraya Productions or whoever, or Toho, whoever, they can do what they like, release what they like in the state that they like nowadays, so, right? Right. So, yes. So, yeah, the rights to Ultraman are back where they belong. I have no idea what uh, Sambo Sands is up to. I mean, he's gone on. He's made a lot of films. And I also will say that there are a couple of those films that I think are pretty good. One is called The Noble War, and it's a very, very colorful realization of a story from the Ramakian. Uh, highly recommend that. I mean, so he could make decent films. And there's another film called Fra Rat Marie, which is a live-action version of a Thai folktale that is probably the only film of his I've seen. Well, both of those films, I'll say, are probably the only films of his that don't recycle a lot of his footage from his other films. So they're entirely original to themselves. Furthering himself as a filmmaker, that, that's not a bad thing to fo- focus on. <laughs> right. He can't, yeah, if he tried, he can make a pretty good, entertaining film. Though there will always be some kind of weird, gross things in them. Should we track back to the time where they were on good terms, Chayo and Subaraya, i.e. when making Jumbo Gaze and Giant, because presumably this was all, they, they, this was the going good period. And and it, and it led, uh, you know, legally, I would hope, to the Taiwanese side shooting their own footage and with local actors and combining it with mostly special effects footage from Jumbo Gaze and Giant to create the local Marsman, which is... Uh, a legal and fascinating thing because I just like that there was that opportunity to do so 
um, you know, not doing it all themselves. Like that would happen with the with War God, obviously. Like then they shot it all themselves under supervision, of course. But uh, it wasn't uh, recycled footage. So they made a local thing and uh, didn't get into trouble, seemingly. Marsman seems to have had quite a life internationally. It's been released officially. I know there was a Swedish release. There was an Italian release that is, yeah, <laughs> that is um, rumored to contain footage original to it i haven't seen it so i don't know for for sure but it got it got around let's get into it a little bit and specifically in terms of my quick opinion of it it's mossman that is i haven't seen the original so this is uh by all you know for all intents and purposes this is director chen hung min's mossman yes uh, it's a fun non-demanding time uh, jumbo gaze and giant and mossman as merged the uh, re-envisioned for local taiwanese audience is a respectable time within the genre uh, chen hung min would craft something in this vein you know the same year but make it all himself so he was up to the task clearly even if he wasn't called upon to provide much flair here but uh, the flair resides in the older footage but uh, had a good time so in short uh, to get the discussion going uh, what do you want to say in short about uh, Mossman I mean Subarai of course uh, contributed a lot of the special effects scenes and the co- yeah the costumes generally look good and there's it's pretty you know, I, I think I would compare this to a scene like a film like Subaraya's, uh not Sands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Hannah Man and the Five Riders, where it's very shoddily stitched together, uh, ha- where the common rider costumes from the from the Thai footage are noticeably cheesier than the ones from the Japanese footage. You know, this one, it looks like all the production values are consistent throughout. Pretty much. I mean, it's not... Uh... It's not a plus genre effort here, but it's all good fun, uh, definitely. Uh, so if you're used to, you know, the greatest of uh, Godzilla with Subaraya stamp on it, it's it's not as great, but it's all good fun. It's all good fun, and I'll I have uh, I I have notes on like take your critical hat off for these kind of movies. It's okay. It's it's sort of uh, the theme of my notes, if you will. L- let's just get uh, some some of my purge out of the way. It's not long. Uh, we were able to see this movie in an English-friendly version because it was released on DVD with a new English dub because presumably it was non-created at the time. Great. So, and then uh, then you turn it on. And then shit goes wrong. <laughs> Hopefully wrong. On the DVD, it's touted as a comedy dub. Which, oh... Mm, okay. Why <laughs> on earth couldn't you just have dubbed it straightforward, which they sometimes do in the movie... And have some dips into outrageousness as the story dictates. You know, it's fine. But no, this is a dub done by a bunch of, or three or four people, a bunch of wannabe riff artists and bad yes. mystery science theater 3000 wannabes, you know. Uh, to think, They think it's cool to do this to goofy cinema. Well, I have something to say to you all. Fuck you. Because yeah. I, I don't dislike you personally, <laughs> people, but I dislike hugely the choices you made for this job. And I bet yeah. the Italian and French versions, uh, because there are dubs on the DVD, got the tone right. Uh, it's just effing awful. But we have no subtitles, so we can't even um, we can't even do anything about it. So, strangely enough, I could tune out of it eventually and focus on the movie. Um, but uh, it's it's a uh, it's a crutch for the movie that they. It's so insulting, man. I mean. Would you do that to Godzilla just because it's old and the acting perhaps is a little bit over the top and do a comedy dub? Like, no, you wouldn't dare. But you dare to do it to this movie because uh, no one would uh, no one would lash out at you. And 
Yeah. Well, I think the release of the original Japanese version of Godzilla sort of put the uh, uh, put an end to all that because you saw what a serious film it really was. So you really would be a jerk to kind of make fun of it now. Yeah, I um, it actually has been a while since I watched Marsman. I forgot. I think I put the dub out of my mind. But yeah, the two worst things is that. All the children's voices are just sped up adult voices, so it sounds like the chipmunks. And yes, there's a lot of really stupid dialogue. And then at the end, when you have Yukwa Jang and Jomborg Ace fighting together, it's these really broy American guys. And it's like they're constantly like, yeah, dude, you know. all right let's kick some ass it's like it's stuff like that and even mystery science theater 3000 wasn't all that funny all the time but it if you're gonna riff you have to bring something but these are just some guy guys and gals in a room there's a dubbing featurette on the dvd they're not in a studio they're in someone's room in my review i said that the the dubbing team was obviously paid with pizza yeah if that yeah (laughs) Yeah, and beer. Maybe beer. There's probably a lot of beer, but oh my god. There's a sense of, uh, oh my god, this is comforting cinema, because uh, a little while into the movie, the TV signal is interrupted by images of flying saucers, you know, (laughs) models, like old school models, like you would see in these movies in the 50s and 60s and 70s, I suppose. You know, flying saucers, and that makes me happy. And it's also super amusing, because, uh, you know, the Queen... Martian and the King Martian, they're after a stone that's hidden in the earth, and it seems like it's Earth's fault. So they say, like, you have three days to give us the stone, otherwise we'll blow you up. So it's not like Earth's fault, man. I mean, they didn't know of it uh, until pretty much now. And and as for the Taiwanese scenes, I mean, I don't know what your notes on are on it, you'll give us them, but they're quickly shot functional string for... to, to connect to Jumbo Gaze and Giant, the footage, and also it's sort of for kids, this. Well, it is for kids, really. So, Shen Hung Min isn't asked to provide that much flair and wisely just shoot something that doesn't take up too much time because kids want to see the cool stuff, the, the, the stuff that makes noise, right? Right, so, right. So, I don't think it's a badly directed film. I just think it's it the, the footage is suitable. I'll also say that it sticks very closely to the plot of Giant and Jumbo A, except for one major thing that's taken from it is there's a scene, there's another giant guardian statue called Yuckwood Foe, who was in Tatian also, who in Giant and Jumbo A, they first send out to fight the aliens, and he is dispatched pretty quickly, because the aliens have at their disposal, of course, a bunch of uh, suitmation kaiju who are really pretty delightful. The monster designs are really pretty fanciful and fun. So that's a pretty major thing. that They send out this other giant. He gets killed, and that's the thing. He's sort of martyred, and that's the thing that really... It strengthens their resolve to defeat the Martians. Um, you know, I could see why that could be taken out, but that was a pretty major part of the first one. Yeah, it would make sense that they would uh, not deviate too much from the original footage. I mean, in the second yeah. uh, movie we'll review, a lot of things are just st- restaged, but with local actors. So they they, they tailored straight straight out to the uh, 
the Japanese uh, footage, you know, down to lighting and uh, things like that. It's also a movie where it's you just have to go with all the elements they present to you because the delightful thing about this genre and this entertainment is that it's so carefree, it's so free for all, so anything can be scripted. And I adore, adore that feeling because you have the... Uh, daughter of the father that gets radiation poisoning and uh, see uh, her boyfriend or prospect and you, you see them being concerned they take them to the hospital and boom next scene they're in their silver gold outfit <laughs> and they're part of like earth <laughs> right. defense force for some reason and all i can say with that right on i'll go with it you know be random with me because this genre i don't care if it's random it's not clumsy it's just like really <laughs> okay like, yeah right it just so happens that the kid who finds the statue of yakua jang is the sister of his sister is the girlfriend of the head of the i think it's called pat yeah the world defense force and so then everything takes place in there because all of a sudden they just enter their little room where actors are spinning knobs and pushing buttons in a right. wonderful, wonderful in their, way. Yeah, their super science lab. And I think in uh, Giant and Jumborg Ace, it's the same. I think Giant and Jumborg Ace features a little more of the PAT people, um, of course, played by Thai actors there. And there's a subplot where they're really trying to grow they're trying to bring the statue to life which is not in the uh taiwan version the statue just kind of comes yeah, to life and then shoots off through the door it just fucks off yeah. <laughs> see ya one thing you have to sort of adjust to compared to if you've seen you know godzilla mothra rodan and expressive monsters one thing you have to adjust to here and i guess with ultraman to a degree is that these suits have no expression you know they don't operate and you know they they often have glowing eyes and you obviously have the actors in there and, and the actors have to use what they have to emphasize performance and feeling so in this one and it's delightful there's a lot of throwing out arms spinning your upper body yes. and waving your hair which is in the suit for queen yes. martian and i don't know what it's like in the best of the ultraman stuff but if if it's all expressionless but it, it's a side of kaiju entertainment that yeah you can sort of laugh at it it's pretty silly yeah. but you it's I, i'll go with it easily because um it's it, it's just uh good fun because it's designed again with a carefree attitude and a free-for-all attitude where we can do anything and we will do anything and I think that's one of the reasons that Sampot Sands kind of fails with these movies because they have an essential innocence to them. And then he, it's like he compulsively adds these sort of sleazy, sexual, and, you know, gratuitously violent elements to them that makes it just, it just doesn't quite gel. It's a very discomforting thing. There, there is some, you know, some, some slightly graphic stuff that I think, like there might be some inserts uh, shot by Chen Hung Min where, you know, people are dying in the streets and they have like burns in their face and things like that. So it, 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 it throws some peril in there. There is some, in, in general, the special effects direction is uh, quite fun, especially the, the back end of the movie. But there, there is some weak, there, there is some weak stuff here. The King 
Martians undercranked rampage of on top of little paper <laughs> paper houses yeah. looks awful. But what you know what saves that sequence? We got a quick cut to the missiles being shot out of Martians or Martians Queen Martians eyes. So you got oh, some right. f- you you get some physical stuff there, and therefore the miniatures are quite dependently um, set on fire, you know, and it looks good on screen, but some of it looks awful because the guy in the King Martian suit doesn't seem to be able to crush the stuff, you know. I may be wrong, but I assume that that footage of the King Martian's rampage through Bangkok, I think that was from Giant and Jumbo A, and I imagine that was filmed by Chayo's special effects team and not Subaraya's. It looked oddly like incompetent for uh, yeah. <laughs> for considering Subaraya certainly was not incompetent at all. I mean, it it, it just looks like uh, flubbed footage to be honest. Uh, but they they do uh, you know when you switch to the the missiles, as I said, that's all good fun. And that looks like the competence we sort of expect from uh, from uh, uh, from Subaraya. And I think yeah, and I think the fact that they sped that sequence up to a comical speed. It was probably an attempt to cover up how crappy it looked. You you have any idea here? You know, and when Jumbo Gay is introduced, I mean, did, the way they describe how Jumbo Gay is going to transform, I assume that's not something Taiwan made up, or, or or is it? Because what happens here is they they say, and it delights me to no end that. We have a Kamikaze pilot that's going to merge with a Cessna plane that's going to transform into Jumbo Gay. And he does, and we have that kind of movie. It's there. The movie is present, and there, they did it. I thought that they said that he... Because in, in Jumbo Gaze, they replay the entire origin of Jumbo Gaze. And it's obviously just footage from the TV series. And in that, he's a pilot who crashed... It's very similar to the origin of Ultraman. He's a pilot who crashes his small plane into an alien spaceship and the aliens resurrect him. And as a little bonus, they give him the ability to merge with his plane and become a giant uh, kaiju fighting cyborg. So, so they sort of tailor it to the Taiwanese scenario a little bit, I suppose, because they, they, they say, because it seems like he's alive, he hasn't crashed, or he isn't in peril. He's just a chosen pilot, and he's got the powers. And Did we even see Jumborgase's alter ego in uh, Mars Man? Oh, very briefly, though. You can see him in the plane, then there's the, the uh, when he when the plane spins, and he spins, and he's off to the moon. It's uh, it's less than 15 seconds, I think. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was, I thought, because I thought in that film they said something like he was a cyborg created by one of Japan's most brilliant scientists, and that Japan was lending him to Taiwan to defeat the Asians. Granted, we have the English dub again. They, they might have been so sloppy that they've said both scenarios. I only remember we got a kamikaze pilot, so... Yes. In terms of choreography here, I mean, we can jump between between ending and mid-movie, I don't care, but in terms of how the, the fighting between, you know, Jumbo Gay and Giant for a while, but the fighting between them and Queen Marsha, I'll, I'll stick with Marsha. They totally say Marsha, by the way, and not Martian, and I, I like that, okay. that's more funny. <laughs> but all of the fighting, I mean, is it reference material for this kind of stuff, or is it more just because all they do sort of is run into each other and uh, f- throw some wrestling moves. And uh, I mean, in your estimation, is this really good stuff or is it sort of standard average stuff? 
I don't. Does anybody really watch these like tokusatsu shows for the fighting? Because a lot of them, it's just kind of they're just kind of wrestling, and a lot of it is just kind of slamming into each other. I think because partly because the monster costumes are obviously very ungainly, and I imagine they're kind of hard to manipulate for the people inside them. You know, because I I thought about this watching Inframan, Super Inframan, which was choreographed by Tongai. You know, it had real martial arts style choreography and there's all kinds of acrobatics and you know, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I think the fighting in the in these movies is 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 charming, but it's not like kinetic and just crazy like like in a Shaw kung fu film. And that's a perfect point to make because I don't I I just watch it and say, well, they're not doing much, but because so the choreography isn't great but why it's like four out of five stuff or whatever it's because it's happening within this scenario between these characters on the moon on yes it does take place on the moon and and you can express travel to the moon in this uh, movie by the way uh you just sort of like i want to go to the moon i'm there yeah Um, (laughs) and and because it's done within this scenario they conjured up all of this stuff and uh and, and actually did it you know they portrayed their ideas there is nothing shoddy about what's going on there for it's just pure it, it's just pure delightful granted there's a lot of it for the last 20 minutes you know it can you can feel a little numb towards this but at, at least they change bring in some other monsters uh, at the very least you know and not just queen and king martian versus uh, jumbo gay and giant right and oh and i love the uh idea of uh, ex- of extinct Martian dinosaurs or the ghosts of Martian dinosaurs. It's like, wow, what a great idea. Have you ever, you know, the thought that they would have dinosaurs on other planets? And I like that. But another thing is that that sequence is pretty choppy because Jumborg Ace has a sidekick, another giant robot called, called Jumborg Nine he transforms from a sports car into a giant robot. It's like, that's like the physics of that seems a little confusing because it doesn't look like there's enough material in a normal size car to create a 20 story high robot. So the final fight in giant and jumbo a is kind of a, a, a mess. Cause there's like the Mar the two Martians, there's Yatwa Jang there's Jumborgase, there's Jumborg 9, there's the ghost dinosaurs. So it's like a free-for-all, and it looks like it's not that big of a set. No, so. <laughs> it's darkly lit for a reason, I think. They're not on a stretch of, uh, they're not in like the, they haven't drained the Toho tank or anything. And uh, Right, they and, didn't go to Monument Valley, you know. <laughs> You can see that, but it's all good fun because we have it's it's these sites and uh, it's done with an understanding of genre, even if it's on a lower budget, involving a sort of infamous producer as we've established. But there's nothing to dislike here, and uh, only the dub, I suppose. But you you you, you tune out of it, and uh, but you know by the last twenty minutes, you can if you have the DVD, just switch to something to one of the other <laughs> tracks because the dialogue isn't. Yeah, it's like, hey, bro. It's like they're almost high-fiving at one point. And there's even no dialogue where there is dialogue in the English dubbing at some points in, in the French and Italian version. So you can just do that. But uh, the only thing I love that 
by the dubbers uh, at one point Jambo Gase and Giant says we just flew in from Earth and boy are our built in jets tired (laughs) Uh, I'll give you that one that was kind of funny I will say that Giant and Jumbo Ace of Sampot Sands films is probably one of his most palatable there's not as much of the queasy weird perverse stuff it's really more straight. I mean, it's very similar to what you see in Marsmen, really. Is it, uh, you remember if it's uh, pretty short as well? I mean, they, this one is, uh, what was it, 80 minutes or 73? Uh, I don't. I mean, some of the Thai films tend to be long, like just traditionally their films are kind of long. So I'd guess it was a little longer than that. I I, I should have rewatched it for this episode, but I didn't want to. I hope it made an impact on Taiwanese audiences to a degree because uh, it is Chen Hung Min and crew they gave them this entertainment you know it's it's cobbled together you know presumably legally from yeah. d- different sources but they gave them this entertainment and soon enough or I don't have the release dates for Chen Hung Min's War God but you know the, the same year they would have their own full kaiju experience and boy was it uh, obviously War God is a way superior movie uh, on all fronts but uh, I do wonder how much involvement uh, Subarai did have in this production because I don't remember ever seeing, like, if you look on the HK, HK MDB, I don't think any Japanese uh, crew are are credited for it. No, I mean, uh, what I'm guessing is that it, when it was acquired, they didn't see the need to credit original creators you know they they they, they probably just put uh, no I, I don't think they put like special effects direction by some local thai technician but uh, uh taiwanese technician but uh today you would have had to reference everything like that otherwise you'd be fucked in court oh yeah but, exactly well yeah they have lawyers whose whole job is just to oversee the end i mean i mean even back then you have like i remember we were taught game of death me and paul fox once upon a time and you have james hong there on the dubbing soundtrack he's not credited in the movie so you know in the 70s you can sort of do whatever you like uh, without consequences my guess is that sampo sans assumed his rights to that would transfer with if he sold it to someone else so i just from all the other things he did later i wouldn't be surprised if he didn't really okay the the sale to the taiwanese producers with subaraya but i don't know i can't i you know again i can't say i got the feeling that mossman sort of um there's nothing suspicious about it at the very least. I think in Thai, in Thai, in Taiwan, I never got the feeling that there were these kind of uh, producers uh, sniffing around, and uh, uh, so so hopefully it was a legit uh, transfer of uh, footage and legal rights, and uh, and uh, then it was sort of never seen again until uh, somewhat recently, as uh, we'll talk of in a little bit. But I'll conclude my notes there, buddy. It's all fairly likable, uh, except the dubbing. But uh, I, I've seen it twice now: one for work, one for the my review my written review next time i'm gonna watch it in italian or french because i know it now so i don't want to hear those guys anymore <laughs> yeah i don't blame you at all so cool uh any other notes my friend before we do the availability uh no i'm uh, i'm done i'm exhausted <laughs> Pur- i'm purged yes so as for availability, it is available on DVD, a French label Bach Films, or Bach Films, that put together a neat edition with a widescreen transfer, Italian dubbing, French dubbing, and I mentioned English dubbing, along with a host of 
what seems like informed and relevant video extras trying to put the movie into context. Uh, but most of those that I wanted to see, they weren't subtitled uh, in English. There's only mildly English-friendly stuff in the bonus section, which includes a dubbing featurette by these um, American dubbers. So we see who made this mess of an oh English dub. Recorded in-house. <laughs> You know, not a studio. You can hear it on the soundtrack. You know, they blow out the microphones. At one point, they spit, and it sounds like this. You know, and that's so it's obviously not professional. I want to see their faces. I want to see them. It also contains a subtitled introduction by filmmaker and Dario Argento collaborator Luigi Cozzi. Uh, direct, director of Contamination, uh, uh, shot at the Profondo Rosso store in Rome because it was released in, in Italy, so they sort of got him while they were there to enthusiastically... It's sort of an introduction, but it's in the bonus. Uh, he enthusiastically praises the film as colorful entertainment. That, that That's a little neat thing. There's also some neat poster art on postcards, including as physical bonus. So you can get Marsman on DVD fairly cheap from Amazon France and just type in Marsman DVD and it will pop up despite having the French title in the listing but uh, you can get it i might have to do that I, all those extras sound you know you wouldn't expect the dvd of a movie like this to have those kind of extras no so. like they see because I, I i fast forwarded through them and they have scans of you know the other super rider films as we talk of in a while and the big calamity there's some stills of it so i think they were tr- they were trying to be inf- as informed as they could be based on information out there so whoever speaks french might there might be a treasure trove of information available on the dvd of this kooky time so that's it my friends let's take a short break and uh, let's uh, do an, a little bit of an easier section there's no uh, purge needed there's no anger connected to super riders against the devils uh, so uh, we'll take a short break and uh, we'll be back after that to discuss uh, another 1976 uh, they were for, 1976 was full of full of it in taiwan in terms of tokusatsu entertainment taiwan style if you will so we'll talk of another one of those after the break And welcome back, and this is the second review of this episode. It's Super Riders Against the Devils from 1976. Super Riders Against the Devils, the last of three Taiwanese films derived from the Japanese tokusatsu TV series Common Rider, concerns a young athlete who is kidnapped by an evil organization called Shocker. The goal is to turn him into a superhuman cyborg that will be programmed to obey their every order. But the young man escapes before they can complete the process. As a result, he is left with his soul intact, but also with a number of enhanced powers that include the ability to do a lot of sick jumps on his motorcycle. Sick. like That's like bro-style bro, bro style lingo now. Like yeah, I don't jumps. know if he does any sick wheelies, but he definitely does a lot of sick jumps i am okay i'm unclear on whether he's actually called common rider in this version or, or he's called super rider it's it has a very mild connection to inframan actually but uh i'll, I'll explain we'll it get into that yeah super rider as he comes to be called is seen as a threat by shocker who dispatched one rubbery kaiju after another to defeat him 
One of the most formidable of these is by all appearances a flying bat-winged version of Frankenstein's monster. Finally, Super Rider is joined by another masked hero, Common Rider in the Japanese version, and together they struggle to foil Shocker's plans of world domination. And it's Japanese and Taiwanese at the same time, which I'll, I'll, I'll explain. I had no real exposure to Common Rider in its Japanese form before, so um, I, I, didn't re- I didn't really know anything, but it's, it's, uh, so we certainly get a taste here. And uh, just a basic, basic little informational nugget, hopefully, about uh, the creation of Common Rider, who, who is it, and all of that. So uh, for, for the sake of context, uh, uh, this uh, was and still is a tokusatsu, which is live-action film or drama containing a considerable amount of special effects. It's a tokusatsu superhero created for TV, and in the manga form by artist uh, Shotaro Ishinomori. And it has made its debut on Japanese TV in 1971, running for two years, and uh, Shonen Magazine published the manga adaptation. Have since spun into, to put it mildly, multiple series <laughs> and movies. Like, if you follow this stuff and keep up with it, like, you're, you're, you're an ace man or woman for, for doing so, keeping track of all of this, but... So we got multiple series on TV and movies, and uh, this uh, franchise has made a a huge cultural impact, uh, even in space, because (laughs) astronomer Akimasa Nakamura named two... Space, 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 there, sorry. Special effects. I don't need to do that in editing now. I had to do it. Uh, Astronomer Akimasa Nakamura named two minor planets in honor of Kamen Rider. 12408 uh, Fujioka after actor Hiroshi Fujioka who played uh, the character of uh, Takashi Hongo and uh, Kamen Rider. So uh, that's um, one of the planets. And as for the story, I'll just quote Wikipedia, the general like setup of at least the first uh, Kamen Rider. Uh, The series takes place in a world plagued by Shocker, a mysterious worldwide terrorist organization. To further its plans for world domination, Shocker recruited its agents through kidnapping, turning their victims into mutant cyborgs, as in this plot, and ultimately brainwashing them. However, one victim named Takashi Hongo escaped just before the final brainwashing. With his sanity and moral conscience intact, Hongo battled Shocker's minions as the grasshopper-themed altered human superhero common rider so that that's essentially the taiwanese movie too uh, more tv series followed with different names uh, were produced up till 1989 as part of the initial showa era series but it's still running strong being in its so-called heisei era phase two as and and you know as of 2016 it is still running strong that's the era it's in uh, movies followed no they weren't content with just tv and they were produced the same year as the show made its uh, debut in 1971 and and i got the impression just reading little bits bits here and there that they took storylines for the small screen sometimes and redid it for the big screen you know in scope but but also just put tv episodes on screen with widescreen matting that was also uh, true I'm curious about that whole thing because there were all these, there were feature length films and then there were these films that were shorts and then these all played theatrically. Which is the case for the source movie for Super Riders Against the Devil called Cayman Rider vs. Shocker. It consists of uh, two shorts made for the cinema and one short that is from a TV series which uh, looked horrible in widescreen because the TV series was not shot in widescreen. 
that they will uh, I, I have some details on that um, further film adaptations of the ongoing series continues to be produced as I said including 2015's Common Rider Ghost with 100 icons and ghosts fated moments is that the title Oh, according to the internet, that's a little bit of a difficult title in English. You know, it's it certainly seemed to give the way for this uh, type of uh, entertainment in Japan. Like the creation of Kamen Rider, you know, initiated a lot of stuff. Uh, and even globally as Toei's long-running Super Sentai TV series franchise is a big player. And that essentially, I mean, it's super simplified to say it. But essentially, Super Sentai gave birth to the Power Rangers which was initially produced in Japan and then localized in America. Well, I think the American series used a lot. Again, here we go to the recycle, reuse, recycle. American series of uh, Power Rangers used a lot of original Japanese footage, which they matched. And and then made their little Saved by the Bell style tokusatsu <laughs> show in America. Yes, yes definitely, because that's the only way we could understand it. I, I want to say that I, too, am not very familiar with Common Rider. I don't think I've ever seen an actual episode because it was not one of the tokusatsu, tokusatsu series like Ultraman, like Space Giants, uh, like Spectreman. They were dubbed and distributed to the English-speaking countries. It's never, to my knowledge, been shown in the United States in any form. Uh, so I've never seen a full episode. I mean, I'm very familiar with it because he is so prevalent in Asian culture. And there are millions. There's like Common Rider, Common Rider Black, Common Rider Amazon, Common Rider X. You know, there's so, you know, just as with Ultraman, rather than just have several seasons of Ultraman, it's like, well, let's just make a whole new Ultraman for this one, which is an interesting, an interesting approach. I mean, and that system is still uh, valid and works for the sake of commercialism because they're, sort of, they're still doing it. I don't know if it's any good or not. I mean, I like this era better, uh, but uh, like, like I've seen recent episodes of Power Rangers and I, if I have to watch Power Rangers, I, I'd want to watch the ones that recycle the Japanese footage because it's sort of... Sure. I just prefer that vibe and tone, yeah. which is my, my fault, really, and not the fault of the <laughs> new footage. Yeah. I was wondering about the content. I mean, I guess I'm sort of obsessing about these shorts too much. I'm just kind of wondering what the context for their theatrical presentation was, because I'm thinking that it was around this time that Toho were doing their their series of kitty matinees, the Champion Festival, and they and part of that would always be there'd be a couple Godzilla movies, and then there'd be episodes of like one of the Subaraya series, like. Ultraman, Mirror Man, or John Borg Ace, and I wonder if this was like Toei's answer to that. Well, I don't really know. I can only speculate because Kamen Rider vs. Shocker, the feature, the 90-minute feature, is first half is a recycled TV episode, as I said, which is an excellent TV episode because it's about an evil soccer player turned into a <laughs> rock-kicking like lizard, which is awesome. And Kamen Rider, fight, Kamen Rider fights him, and that's cool. And then the other shorts that make up 30 minutes to 60 minutes and 60 minutes to 90 minutes, they are shot for widescreen cinema scope. And they might be original stories or recycled stories only reshot, obviously, for cinema. I saw it as, um, you know, it saved time to uh, do little mini stories instead of one entire thing to capitalize, to be ahead of the curve, possibly, so... And I wouldn't be surprised if more Common Rider movies of at this time 
were structured like this, but I, I don't have that on authority. I've only seen Kamen Rider right. versus Shocker in its Japanese form. Yeah. Well, there's some like Filipino movies too. Uh, like uh, two of the Darna movies are done like that. They're three distinct episodes, like TV episodes. Yeah, each one has their own opening and ending credits too in the Japanese version. So you get oh, the Kamen wow. Rider like a <laughs> theme, and that's on your fucking head after 90 minutes. It's everywhere in the I movie. Bet. <laughs> so um so tai- taiwan enters um uh, you know the plot of common rider essentially courtesy of the tung shing film company never heard of them since it's a uh, it's at the top of the movie so uh, that, that's why what they were even if they only were for a couple of movies they reportedly according to information uh, from august ragoni i interviewed him a couple of years ago they rented sets and costumes from japan and uh shipped them to Taiwan for their partial reshoot of Common Rider vs. Shocker. And they cast local actors Lee Yi-min, star of Mystery of Chess Boxing and Seven Grandmasters, uh, and uh, an actor from Mars Men who played uh, you know, the other person in the Earth Defense form, Force, Pat. Uh, <laughs> uh, Wen Chiang Leong. Uh, I Long, thought I recognized him. Yeah, yeah that's a very distinct, uh, distinct face. You know, the team in 1976, when they did Super Riders Against the Devils, they already had the experience of uh, creating cut-and-paste cinema based on acquired Japanese footage and material because in 1975 there was a movie by the same cast and crew called Super Riders V3 and a third movie which I've not seen I don't think it's readily available in 1976 from the same team it came out and it was called The Five of Super Rider and I don't know where what that is basing its footage on uh, but uh, so I, I I can just assume they were made the most of the time where they had the production qualities present, you know, the sets and the costumes uh, and the source movie footage that they had at their disposal, they made the most of it by crafting free uh, quick movies. It was my impression that Super Riders versus the Devils was the third one, but are you saying that... I, I don't have the release dates. It's just uh, it's just the order I said them in. I mean, one is 75 and two were done in 76, so... Um... The, the first one, Super Riders V3, a friend of mine is working on a German, either DVD or blue, of it based on the German cinema print. So at one point, we're going to get to see Super Riders V3, their first uh, common rider. Is that the one that's also known as Kung Fu, Frankenstein's Kung Fu Monster? Yeah, that's the German uh-huh. a- angle of it all, indeed. Uh-huh. And... Uh, all were directed by the same man, these three movies. Lin Shun Kuang, director of Feng Shen Bang, which we've covered on these, uh, yeah. uh, in this show uh, from 1969. And then only one movie came out from this director, 1985's Darling Family. So I guess this director's career was genre-defined for four movies, and then it sort of ended. But uh, not a bad showcase, to be honest. Yeah, I would love for Darling Family to be a tokusatsu movie. If it was like somehow about monsters fighting giant superheroes, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't hedge my bets on that. Uh, it's, uh, it sounds Aww. like a goofy Taiwanese comedy, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, probably starring kids. Yes, and we know how that's gonna go. As long as they're not dubbed with chipmunk voices, I'm okay. Yep. Totally cool. <laughs> and and just to clarify a little bit, the original Japanese feature, Cayman Rider vs. Shocker, that's that's takes up, um, which is so, sort of the action footage in Super Riders Against the Devils is from 
common rider versus shocker it's three 30 minute shorts in one one being a matted widescreen version of uh, the episode from the common rider tv series about a mean soccer player gets turned into a rock kicking lizard it's, it's so it's a 30 minutes of very little conflict you know he gets turned he beats common rider then common rider has to train and then he defeats him the end you know we're done we're in and out uh, quickly and uh, the other two shorts in that feature were shot for the big screen because you, you can just see the compositions are for widescreen and uh, the heads are actually in the frame the first the first short that was matter <laughs> for widescreen like it looks horrible framed uh-huh. like that you know uh, but it's the fun, most fun 30 minutes out of that <laughs> feature, actually. And, and as I said, it's these 60 minutes, the last, uh, the last 60 minutes of Common Rider vs. Shocker that Super Riders Against the Devil used action footage from, and they also restages a fair amount of scenes from it, but with local actors and some uh, doubling here and there. So, Well, yeah, there's a lot more um, compared to something like, you know, Marsman, there's a, a, a lot more of plotting involving the human alter egos of the uh or the human alter ego of super rider Mm -hmm. yeah i think there is this the one where there's like the scene of them oh i think i'm getting confused because there's a scene in i think it's marsman maybe where there uh there's a romantic scene that's set to instrumental version of never can say goodbye that's very stirring but i just I want to get that i can't even remember i can't even remember romance from these two movies so to be honest but the <laughs> this movie may- is maybe fight 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 exactly. fight fight yes so, and based on that, I'll give you my quick opinion. Even if I tried, I can't dislike it. Uh, for same reasons as Marsman, it, it's like default fun because it's tokusatsu entertainment of this era in this style. And the business construction behind the production of this Taiwanese movie is as interesting fun and why it was made and how it was made. So it's not reference tokusatsu entertainment, but there's nothing to dislike here. It truly isn't for me. That, that's a short opinion for now. What do you want to say in short about Super Riders Against the Devils? I agree with you. I was mainly relieved because I was thinking this movie was a retooling of the Sampot Sands Common Rider movie, and it's not. His movie is a is based almost entirely on a common rider feature called Common Rider versus King Dark. That's from 1974. So I was glad this was yeah this was more very straightforward. Um, as I said, it's very slickly, it's very seamless in its transition from the Taiwanese footage to the Japanese footage. Yeah, it's perfectly entertaining. I guess one of the things that it's not like exceptional, but it's you know it's breezy. When I saw that it had been marketed outside of Asia as a sequel to Inframan, you know, then I thought that's good. But it's no Inframan. I mean, no, Inframan is like, no. like yeah. <laughs> they put uh, yeah, the German title is Krieg der Infras, like uh, you know, War of the Infras, War yeah. between the Infras, and they put Inframan on the poster, but. Yes. And there's some uh, dubbing at the beginning of it, like further adventures of Inframan in in Java. <laughs> but obviously, he still looks like Common Rider. There's no, there's only dashes of red here and there. <laughs> As, like there's a South American movie which is just edited together episodes of the giant robot series Gun Baron, I think it's called, and. 
they sell it as a live-action version of the cartoon Mazinger Z because the oh. because the cartoon was so popular. So they just found some, you know, Tokusatsu series about a robot and 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 edited it all together and then dubbed dubbed it. So uh, there, 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 there's actually another Taiwanese movie uh, I just going to mention really briefly called Iron Man. Iron Man Metal but <laughs> what it is it's actually uh, it's the same deal as with Super Riders Against the Devil but it is edited from uh, either one or two or several TV episodes uh, of Super Red Baron but right. with t- Taiwanese actors instead or even Hong Kong actors there's some Hong Kong actors I recognize and they're uh-huh. also very well put together and fun as hell because the Super Red Baron action footage is uh, quite high quality oh yeah that's a that's a really good show that they actually, I think, um, Shout Factory actually put out a box set of that whole series on DVD, and it's totally, totally worth it because it's so seventies. Like the clothes that they wear when they're not in their super, you know, it's one of those things where it's a team. The usual thing. There's the team of, uh, you know, super science-y paramilitary guys, and then they have their giant robot, which is Red Baron. And and, and a couple of very handsome young actors, uh, too, too, because uh, you got to sell it that way, too, and not have boring old, old people in there. And a, and a very cute, perpetually mini-skirted girl who's always getting her skirt pulled up. <laughs> is this a Sampo Sans production? <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly, if you're looking for that kind of appeal. But uh, you mentioned that uh, that it's well put together, meaning that the cut-and-paste formula here, it's it's the seams aren't showing very very evidently. If you know they're there, you can see them. But And, and it is very pleasing, because this is not a big-budgeted production. It seems like a very small outfit that focused on making the local shoots and the wraparound footage around the action footage uh, work seamlessly with the Japanese footage. They really studied what they had and also opened the boxes and put the sets together as they showed off. They came from came from Japan. And I have to say, I think this movie pulls off this illusion that this is one. And, and not, not that it's an illegal trick or anything, but I think they pull it off rather splendidly. I didn't, you know, if you don't, didn't know, it's, wow, a Taiwanese common writer rip, rip-off, but it's pretty good. I mean, they do the work. I mean, uh, yes, the production values are kind of pre-existing. They put it up. They put it up. They put it together. You know, you got the colorful super sci-fi sets with blinking lights and and, and sort of because the story is setting itself up the way it does. You know, Lee main character, he gets, you know, he goes to the jewelry store and there's uh, someone who poisons him with smoke and they bring him to a, a, a ra- like a very house that looks ready to be demolished. And in that house is the base of Shocker. And because it sets itself up within two minutes in this way, like, we're going to transform you now. I don't, it's the same damn thing I've been talking of this entire episode that, all right. I'm on. I have no complaint about this story angle. You know, transform Feng Su Tong. Yeah, you don't sit down with a movie like this and go, "Okay, convince me, Common Rider versus." You know, it's like, you know, it's going to be ridiculous. You know, it's going to demand a lot of suspension of disbelief. So just, you know, yeah, give yourself over to it, or not. If you don't want to watch, if you're like, that sounds stupid, you're right. You know, don't watch it. But you know. I enjoyed it. I like uh, the transformation. It's so harmless. It's not like this gory, gory <laughs> operation. It's like they shine a light on actor Lee Him. Lee Him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Essentially, you'll have a powerful time. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like I love in uh, Inframan where they just project kind of these cartoon transistors on top of his body, you know. <laughs> Even that was more elaborate here. They just yeah. shine a little light on him and then he's strong and uh, and uh, off we go. It's uh, in the German version here we're dealing with a 73-minute movie, so it's like it's off to the races um, pretty yeah. quickly to be honest. Yeah. Wanted to say, you know the Sphinx lady that appears yeah. at the beginning and end of movie? That doesn't appear in Common Rider vs. Shocker. I oh. I don't think it's original Taiwanese design, and it might be lifted from something else in the Common Rider universe, but it is sort of yeah. the, the the beginning stretch of the movie and the end stretch of the movie. is, is That's what, uh, what the Taiwanese crew did themselves. That wasn't mm. based on Common Rider vs. Shocker. It may be replicating, you know, the origin story beat by beat. It sounds like it. Right. But uh, I have a sneaking feeling Taiwanese did some... They did that, but they also yeah. did some of the suit action because the beginning of the suit action and, and the end, towards the end, looks slightly more Kung Fu style. B- because Lee Min was a... And and is a I think he's alive, a martial artist. I mean, a, a splendid martial artist. Uh, so I, I think they did some, but you, you can pretty much tell after a while, five ten minutes in, that they're relying on the original Japanese action footage. Well, a lot of the fights in keeping with Taiwanese uh, kung fu movie tradition are shot in sort of anonymous quarries. You know, they're so it's like in these kind of generic backgrounds. But that happens in the Japanese movie too. They're, they're riding around in the uh, in the countryside. Uh, all of these uh, covered up actors in these uh, in these uh, expressionless suits. Yeah, I, and I really like that that Sphinx lady. I thought that was a cool design. And this is the one that has the uh, flying Frankenstein in it too, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's like their secret weapon is the flying Frankenstein. Sort of a chicken-like uh, suit too, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, there's nothing there to sort of scoff at. I mean, you, I, I get very easily put in a, a good mood based on this. Uh, you know, grant, granted, I watched this when I was stoned, but still, even <laughs> when I when I wasn't, it, well, it's, it's ideal. These shows are ideal for getting wasted. That that's all good fun, and I think they do a very good job uh, restaging. Uh, I know you didn't watch necessarily more than maybe a couple of minutes of Common Rider versus Shocker, but they restage some scenes beat by beat, but they do it well. I mean, the first scene where the Dracula character, or Dr. Morton, turns up at the science lab in the green light, th- that is the same scene as in Common Rider versus Shocker. Uh-huh. And then they just double, I think, a- an actor that goes into the foam, <laughs> the disappearing foam. Oh, right, yeah. And, and they combine that stuff because they don't have time to replicate the foam. They just use that footage. But I have to tell you, you don't see the jump in footage, and the doubling is usually very well done. Yeah. I loved all the quotes from, like, um, you know, classic Hollywood horror movies, the Dracula guy, the Frankenstein. That was a neat little touch, you know, and they totally made them their own. They're definitely like a, a Japanese uh, tokusatsu version of those characters. But it's always fun to see that hint of recognition. It's like, that's Frankenstein, man. This, despite this being the brotherhood of Satan. <laughs> right, right. It's Frankenstein. So, And, I mean, again, in the plotting, you know, they have to get a formula from the doctor. The GX, GX factor is in the formula. And that is just pure mood setting for me. Like, I... 
I love that stuff, and they 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 transform as other people to get secrets from you know mm-hmm. from the doctor and vice versa at another point. So it's not meant to be tense horror, obviously being you know Brotherhood of Satan and a Dracula character, but it's so it's so delightful all, all throughout. Uh, you know, expressionless suits again, as I said, <laughs> requires a lot of physical acting to ha- to sell this. They don't need to do a lot of physical like acting plus the dialogue on top of it because they, this movie is really wall to wall action anyway. So yes. the, the physical acting they do is riding around on the motorcycles and doing more stylized kung fu style action. Uh, you know, hitting and throwing them. And what what usually happens, Todd, you when bad guys in this movie dies? Do they? Do they uh, die there on the spot, or is there uh, is there something that happens? Do they? They use no. They always they always explode. Yes, they do. <laughs> they always explode, no matter what. No matter what the cause of death is, they like or they'll go and they'll fall off a cliff, and then when they hit the ground, it's a big explosion. <laughs> Which is just ludicrous, yeah. perfectly ludicrous, because. Yes. It, it's not like, oh my god, I've been shot, boom. Oh my god, I've been pierced. Oh my god, I lost an arm or anything. It's just that if Common Rider or Super Rider 1 or 2 throws them for a second time onto the ground, some judo throw, whatever, that create, that's like the uh, combustion uh, tr- trigger. Well, I, I, I think it's a precursor. Of, I, I kind of love that thing. It's the same thing that's in 80s action movies. Is It's not... It's not good enough to just kill the villain. He has to be like annihilated. So, you know, and like these action movies where they have the, you know, the villain gets shot and then they stuck a hand grenade in his mouth and then they throw him out the window of a 20 store building and he's still like, (laughs) and then he blows up and that's, you can only, you know, and then they, they smile and wrap their arms around each other and walk into the sunset. But I feel like that's the same thing going on here. I mean, that was a big thing in Ultraman and some of the later Ultraman where, you know, Ultraman would not just, he'd beat the monster up and then he'd use a ray to cut it in half and then he'd fire his beam at it to make it explode. That's the that's the money shot in these. Yeah, shows. a little bit more elaborate here. Here, like like these guys in the skeleton suits and the uh, wrestling masks, they they must be transformed somehow because they they do explode. And and, and it sounds like it's bad bad transformation that Shocker does to them that they're so sensitive to to falls, you know. <laughs> but 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 I guess they're they're, they're henchmen. They're expendable, obviously. They were a faulty batch. Just that batch was a little flawed. Yeah undercooked and again it's it, it's japanese ideas that there's i love that um thinking that if someone just comes comes up with something everybody says yes you know you, <laughs> yeah. you, you have the foam that the killer foam and the teleportation foam which is which is exactly what it is you know bubble bath foam that they that they conjure up there on the spot and it's not a bad effect but i i just love that they weren't afraid of of these ideas in japan because they've established a genre and content and you you are not straying by doing this. You you are totally you are in tune with the genre, and I I can't say how much that delights me. Me too. I mean, one thing I like about action movies from any culture is that, especially if they're sort of comic booky, you know, if it's like a superhero type thing, is there's yeah the element of ritual where it's like 
yeah, yeah, there's the there's the professor and he has like a secret invention that could in the wrong hands could destroy the world and his daughter is of course beautiful and you know these aren't even really plot points they're just ritual they're part of the you know they're part of the process and they're part of what makes these movies you know so enjoyable cuz you can just completely turn it off you don't even need subtitles for a lot of them no, I mean, we were granted subtitles with this one, thankfully, so we didn't watch a German, uh, it's German dubbed, but it's subtitled, but still, it's so basic that you go with it, and, but coherency is no problem, though, because it's so basic, um, if it sets itself up as a, itself up as a 70-minute movie, you kind mm-hmm. of know that there's going to be a bit basic setup, Fight, 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 boom, 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 and yes. then it's over, and that's all fine, that's all fine, but but you can also, you know, a few watches in, I really do admire, as I said, how they connect the old footage, uh, like, there's no jump in quality as such to, Mossman suffers a little bit from that, there's a yes. little bit of crispier, crisper Taiwanese footage, and the older Japanese footage is way more damaged, they didn't get a crystal clear print. That final fight on the moon, it looks a little murky. Compared to some of the, you know, the other shots, some of the daylight location footage looks a lot sharper by comparison. And uh, and yeah, even when when you get to short two in Kamen Rider vs. Shocky, it starts with the race. And even here they do well, uh, the Taiwanese crew, by planting actor Wen Chang long at the race. And then when they're off to the races, you they have helmets on and therefore the Japanese footage starts at that point. Uh, yeah. It doesn't sound like it takes a lot of effort to connect it seamlessly, but I think it actually does. You have to sit down and watch what it is you're connecting yourself to, what it is you're restaging. Because just because you rented the shit doesn't mean that, okay, our movie's done now. Just (laughs) point the camera at it and we're home free. No, I think this took, someone had to sit there. You know, and we we didn't, they didn't have like an iPhone to sit there and like watch the other movie and then point the camera in the same direction as the original movie did. They had to sort of know what they uh, remember, I guess, what they were, uh, what they were aping and replicating. Well, it does help a lot that the common writer costume exposes no recognizable part of the actor's body, you know, so he's completely covered. So you can use whatever actor you want. They also had that uh, suit, though, because uh, some of the scenes with Common Rider is with the Taiwanese cast actors. Um, yeah. You know, the scene with the professor and his uh, daughter, that's, you know, a local actor, and the daughter is sometimes the Japanese girl in, like, the party scene where the kidnapping happens, but they also double the Japanese girl by placing her carefully behind actors and sometimes even behind a single grass straw. In for in the foreground <laughs> to cover up her face ever so slightly, but the dress is the same, like the, it matches, and you wouldn't stop and think, hey, 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 that girl is now a few inches taller or whatever. No, there are always those weird kind of arty compositions in these shows too. Like there's always like the footage, yeah, through like you know a curtain of grass or with a flower in the foreground and the. Actors are a little blurred out of focus. I don't know if it was pretensions on the part of the filmmakers or it was just, you know, it's good. It's interesting filmmaking. It's not It's not visually boring. But is it exceptional? Well, 
no, no, but it could. It could blend in with many genre efforts of the same kind in Japan. You know, the same applies, as I said millions of times already. The vibe is fun, the sound and sights is fun, and it's almost automatic approval, even if it isn't stellar or even inspiring. I don't know if this would convert fans to tokusatsu, though. Maybe you need to set them in front of, you know, reference Ultraman episodes or whatever. Uh, so I can't guarantee this is like, oh, I'm in now. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering what... Well, I think one of the things that... that... It's not really a matter of conversion to Takusatsu. I think a lot of the people like me, like August Rigoni, who are huge fans, were raised on it. I mean, because I started watching Ultraman on TV when I was probably seven or eight, you know, and that had a huge effect. And then uh, Space Giants, you know, they had at that time. Uh, we had a local station that just showed all of those. They showed Space Giants. They showed Spectraman, which was awesome. Spectraman might be a good one to start with. And there, oh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot, which was really giant robots. So there's a whole mess of them that they were showing. And I loved them, you know. So I was kind of raised on it. Now I don't know if I, you know, if I was going to try and get someone into it what where i would start you know because it sort of is a love of the it's a love of the tropes there's a coziness to me uh of those you know just seeing the various elements played out again it's like oh yeah here we are we're home i i would rather see a, a little bit more combination which is my my only complaint is like we don't have as much combination of um, added special effects or uh, characters you know shooting stuff from their body or using weapons. A lot of this is merely fighting. So I think if anything's yeah. missing, it's that. And I have to say, the most dull sequences in this one is the ch- the various chases on bicycles because they sort yes. of just go around in circles. Yeah. And it's uh, it's more of a demonstration, really, rather than like a tense chase. I, 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 I thought the bike riding looked absolutely dull. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if you want more violent fares, some of the, like, I'd say Ultraman Leo... I'm a Leo, that works. Uh, are you? I <laughs> yeah. am also. I'm trying to think if that's available or if that's being shown anywhere. Be, be, because there are, whenever that, that happens in these movies, it happened in Marsman when Marsha starts shooting you know, missiles out of her eye. I like whenever they place stuff on actors that technicians are, where the actors have to put their faith in the technicians to fire off the pyrotechnics <laughs> yes. off them or two onto them. Uh, right, so yes. we, we have a few very minor examples in Super Riders where characters actually shoot something at at the people, but m- mostly it's uh, uh, fists and kicks. That's uh, that's uh, um, Just some very minor notes. Uh, the snow scenes towards the end are the best examples of the cut and paste uh, notion here, because you have the young Japanese hero that... Uh, is uh, fighting with Super Rider 2. The way they combine Wen Changlong and the original Japanese actor is nearly seamless. You you don't see they're, they're never in the if they're in the same shot together, one has their face away from the camera. But uh, it's very very well made. And yeah. uh, you know you know at one point he has a suit on, so obviously that that means it's purely Japanese footage. But that's uh, it contains some of the best action to be honest in the snow. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I like the. It was decently undercranked and not uh, distract 
acting right so. not not comedically so yeah i always like a good snow bound action scene and i don't know if they were actually shooting on a mountain or if the camera was just tilted uh, i thought to myself wait a minute yeah they're on playing ground or if the camera is the yeah. camera tilted <laughs> yeah uh and my final note really if you do watch it uh Around the hour mark, you see um, sort of an ending uh, plot reel and reveal regard, uh, involving a Western girl. And uh, it's it might be from something else in the common Rider universe, but that's all uh, the Taiwanese crew creating this sequence because uh, the actors are out of the suits and all of that. So it, it, that, that stuff is not from common Rider vs. Shocker. Where common Rider vs. Shocker ends when they blow up the whole laboratory and, and at the mountain and that's it. So the last 13 minutes is uh, something ta- Taiwan uh, had to um, shoot themselves for a stretch. Right. Yeah, it has kind of a long epilogue. Uh, and it might be a little bit more suit action from them here, but um, it looks a little punchier and uh, faster. Mm. So... Um, mm. I mean, yeah. Again, they had the suits, but uh, uh, all in all, uh, it's uh, it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable time, man. Very undemanding. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, if you find it first, and it might serve as a decent uh, intro. But as Todd said, there are there are a lot of available uh, introductions to this kind of universe. It's it's the vast one. God knows it's a vast one. I mean, have you ever attempted to sort of get into it all, or do you just no? I'm, I'll be. I'll, I'll have to use five lifetimes to 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 get into it all all the common rider all the ultraman uh, variations and spin-offs uh, like uh, have you settled on it's okay I'll, I'll stop at five yeah <laughs> no it's something i'm happy just to dip into here and there i mean usually when they put one they've been putting out i mean i think it's mostly they put out a lot of uh box sets of these shows and i usually buy those when they came out i'd say the best series that i've seen are Spectre man is great Original Ultraman. I like Ultraman Leo a lot because it's very violent, so it combines like the the fun stuff with some crazy monster gore and stuff like that. And like I said, I like Red, Red Baron is really fun. I mean, I haven't seen one where I'm like, oh, this is crap. You know, they they all have sort of the same appeal. I'm sure there are completists who try and see every single one, and I'm normally the kind of person to do that, but I haven't had the compulsion. There's it's just so, too much. so much. I mean, I have a few books. You know, it's always fun if you go to a Japanese bookstore that has a good film section, you can find these books that are just ca- basically catalogs of all the different series. Wow. And there's, the, yeah, I have one that has great pictures, but because it went all the way up until the 80s, you know, they're even like sort of hair metal versions <laughs> of the, like the Takasatsu hero. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's one of those things where I think it's good. It's like Euro spy movies, you know, you, you don't need to see them all just dip into yeah. dip into them here, or there. And it's satisfying. And hopefully the stories aren't that complex that the makers are like, yeah writing them in an ill way which like betrays earlier series plot development hopefully it's all standalone and easy enough to just plow on and plow forward yeah i mean and i wouldn't recommend uh either of the movies we talked about tonight as like an introduction because they're neither of them are japanese and they're repurposing i think they're both you know plenty entertaining they're not great but they're fine but i I if if you're coming at it from the taiwanese perspective i think it's a a little bit different though if you have that interest in taiwanese cinema so it it, it sort of works as a recommendation from one perspective maybe not the other which which i i I would agree on uh 
that uh, but I'm glad these were my first sort of dips into what that co-production was like when it was good in the in terms of uh, Jumbo Gaze and Giant yeah. and I, I certainly didn't mind I wasn't inspired by what I saw in terms of oh wow Common Rider is my thing now yeah but I was based on that white matted widescreen version of the tv episode because that was so much fun that was so stupid to have this mean soccer player turn into a rock lizard that kick rock kicking lizard because uh, he was a so- soccer player so that made me feel like oh, the initial run of common rider i should give that a whirl i will say about mars men is that one of my major takeaways from it and the sampo sans version is um, that Jumbo Gase looks like a really great show, actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, totally. the monster designs were crazy, and the action looks really fun, and, the, you know, it has all the elements, but just I love the uh, creativity of the monster designs, and they're, they're, really, they're kind of zany, but also... Monster, I mean, it's I like it's like live cartoons, obviously. Even he, yes, when they when they crush the head of one of the dinosaurs, it, it just uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's like an accordion crush. Like it, cr- it crushes it like an accordion because it, it's a yes, it's hilarious. So it's all, it's all good. So uh, <laughs> there, there's some stuff here to extract and uh, yeah. go explore. I think I will uh, to some uh, in some shape or form. So groovy. All right, then, as for availability of Super Riders Against the Devils, uh, you can get it. Uh, German label CMV Laser Vision. I like that. That's like an old school name, like Laser yeah. Vision for a DVD label. Uh, it, they put out a great looking print of the German cinema edit running 73 minutes. And I'm not sure it was that much longer originally, to be honest. It seems like a fairly short movie. Um, I didn't feel it left a lot of questions unanswered. They were very, in, in, in Germany, they, they really focused on editing, if I'm being honest. There are various kung fu movies that were 90 minutes and were, had no business being 90 minutes. Some of them, they just chopped like 15 minutes out of them, and all of a sudden, they're perfect movies. Yeah. Like, and, and, and you can guess what went. It wasn't violence. It wasn't right. martial arts. It wasn't plot. It was comedy. Oh, like, good. Get, like, get the nonsense out of there and focus on yeah. kung fu. Uh, the DVD we're talking about it's German language only but it is English subtitled and uh, you can still find this DVD used at mostly reasonable prices do note however it is also released by the label marketing film but their DVD has no subtitles so be sure to get the one that says CMV laser vision on it um, and um, you'll you'll get that version if you're in need of English subtitles. All right. And as far as the uh, Sampot Sands movies I talked about, if you must, if you <laughs> feel you must see them, there's a Thai company called Tiga, T-I-G-A, that has put out Hanuman and the Seven, and oh, sorry, Hanuman and the Seven Ultraman on DVD. Uh, and I think... Uh, Hanuman and the Five Riders is also out on DVD. Otherwise, they have all his films available on VCD, the most popular home video format on Earth. I don't know if E-Tie CD is still around, but I bought almost all of them from there. And, and if they are, they are a reliable um, supplier, definitely. I've, I've used them a couple definitely. of times for, for, uh, for Hong Kong movies released on Thai DVD. I would say avoid Magic Lizard, though other people would argue with me. So I won't actually, you know, if you're into it, if you want to check it out, check it out. I won't try to influence your decision. 
Absolutely. That's a, that's, okay. a, that's a balanced way of looking at things. But uh, They go low, I go high, kid. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. It's going to be out of date, that reference, uh, when, when this podcast comes out. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, yes. I'm afraid so. But uh, at any rate, we are done for this uh, epic uh, dip into uh, Japanese, Thai, Taiwanese, Tokusatsu Entertainment. And uh, boy, was it a dip. Uh, and uh, Joyce <laughs> wanted that. In quality. Yeah. <laughs> context and history for mostly goofy movies that that's uh that that does my heart good to deliver that so let's uh, finish this one off uh, with some very brief contact information this has been taiwan noir on the podcast on fire network we are located on podcast uh, podcast on fire.com along with all our other shows and bonus episodes so make your choice over there if you have any questions or feedback let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com Join us over on social media. We have buttons at the top of our website leading to our Facebook presence, our Twitter presence. There's a link to our iTunes feed, which you can subscribe to, leave a rating and a comment on. And there's a button leading to Stitcher Radio's uh, online presence where you can stream our shows and you can also do so on the go thanks to their applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And I write about uh, these kind of uh, Taiwanese movies because they do delight me. They do inspire me to write uh, over at SoGoodReviews.com. I provide small, uh, basic, uh, crude video reviews over at sleazykvideo.com. Not always sleazy, but that's the name of the site anyway. And uh, my Twitter handle is at so good reviews. Plug time. Todd, what do you want to say to sign us off? Well, I can always be found at Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill. That's Die Danger, Die, Die, Kill.blogspot.com. That's my blog where I write about crazy uh, international genre film. And if you go over to the uh, sidebar on the on the right, you will find links to my Facebook, my Twitter. Um, I think there's even a link to the Tumblr, which I haven't updated for like two years, but I think it's still on there for for archival purposes. Still tumbling, still spinning. yes. And there's also a link to Pop Offensive, the radio show I do on a monthly basis. All my other dudes. Oh, and of course, a link to the an Amazon link where you can purchase my book funky bollywood and that's it and it's also linked to todd's uh, unofficial uh, non-fan website of sampo sans called sampo sans is a dick.com <laughs> you know actually i did do i will send you a link to my series of reviews because i think i called it thai style kaiju the films of sampo sans so i'll send you a link can so you can post it with the article all right then so thank you everybody for uh, indulging us and uh, we'll be back next time i have some uh we'll presumably be back i don't know if this comes out in 2016 but regardless i think we'll record next in 2017 i have some suggestions um that i i always sort of plant at the end of these things but i have notes uh, on uh, like uh, stuff like Master of the Flying Guillotine because that's that's nice and goofy but like uh, a, one or two of the Hello Dracula movies should be fun to cover oh, yeah. at one point uh, because that, that context is important I think even if it's simple context meaning Taiwanese did their own Mr. Vampire it was called Hello Dracula we don't need to cover all of them but uh, it's it's important I think to sort of give listeners and it's fun to give listeners sure. that like hey they did it in Taiwan too and it wasn't too shabby they're, they're like little hints of what we'll uh, possibly do in 2017. But for the moment, uh, I've been Kenny B. And uh, with me was the uh, multimedia man, writer number one or something like that. <laughs> Touch that man. So say goodbye, buddy. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been a gas and a giggle. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in 2017. 
if America still exists. And we and in two thousand seventeen <laughs> we can continue that for the call sample sons of dick. Yeah. So so there, there's that hope. <laughs> yeah. He's a dick, yo. That's anyway. a political platform. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But that doesn't mean anything, well. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that would be a, that that could be a third party option. The Sampo Sam's is a dick party. Kamen Rider, Kamen Rider, Rider.